Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Huntington. In this episode, I talked to Adam Smith from Niche Website Builders. And they're a sponsor of the show. They've been excellent to work with. Adam and Mark are just nice dudes. So I've enjoyed just chatting with them. In this episode, I do talk to Adam and how he got started in the affiliate marketing business. He has an interesting background, which I believe helped him quite a bit in you know leveraging his corporate skills into this affiliate marketing area. An interesting fact is that Adam hasn't actually created a site from scratch. He is more into purchasing existing sites and then growing them and then selling them. So as he's you know been fortunate enough to have the capital to invest, he's been able to again utilize those skills that he had and kind of you know skip the sandbox, just buy an existing site that's that's there and grow it using you know pretty standard procedures, which you can get the checklist. So Adam and I chatted about it, and there's kind of a set uh, sort of procedure that you can go through. And it's a one pager, very straightforward. You'll potentially have to do a little more research if you're unsure to about certain aspects. Like if you're unsure how to speed up the load time of a website, you may need to go figure out how to do that. But it's pretty, pretty straightforward, the steps that you would take to grow a site. Now, not all sites are created equal. Probably don't have to tell you that, but there are some sites that you know, these procedures are going to work really well. Additionally, let me know if you want to hear more from Adam about his expired domain case studies. So we talk about it a little more in depth, but, you know, shoot me an email feedback at doug.show if you're interested in learning more. I know I am personally interested and I'm definitely going to be following up with Adam about it anyway. But if you want to hear about these case studies too, do let me know. He shares a ton about his process and just how he got started. So I'm not going to ramble on. He tells a really good tale. So let's get to the interview now. So Adam, how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thanks, Doug. And yourself? Fantastic. Fall is sort of upon us here. It was so hot a few days ago, but it's cooling off, which suits me much better. So how is it over there weather-wise? Yeah, it's it's nice today. I mean, I, I'm in Wales and I live probably 25 minutes from the Brecon Beacons National Park. So it's it's always raining pretty much. Like 70% of the year, it's just rain where I live. <laughs> so it's, it's nice to have a, I can see the blue sky out the window. It's nice, nice today. That's pretty awesome. Well, for the people that don't know you, can you give a little bit of an intro about what you do right now? And then mm-hmm. I also want to hear about your your previous career because I know you haven't been doing what you're doing now very long. Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, I'm one of the co-founders of Niche Website Builders. We were an agency that focuses on helping affiliate website owners and, and marketers improve their websites. Um, we build websites for for clients, and essentially, we are we were aiming 
to be the hands-off go-to agency for affiliate marketers. You can come to us. Um, we do the keyword research. We have a team of in-house content writers. Um, so it's all, all based here in the UK. And then we do the, the formatting and uploading. And then we have additional services like um, link building and uh, web building services too. Before this, so that company is quite new. Um, we started that company uh, in December. But since then, we've grown, we've grown really quickly. We've had some good industry recognition. We, our, our attention rate is, is insanely high, so our client base is, is growing really quickly. Before that, um, I was just a, a regular affiliate marketer myself. Um, that's kind of how, how we got started, me and Mark, with the company. In fact, Mark heard me on, a, on another podcast, and I was talking a little bit about my frustrations in outsourcing content and finding good quality writers and that whole space. And Mark was experiencing something very similar, so he reached out. Um, interestingly, me and Mark live about two and a half hours, three hours apart. So, I mean, we've grown this business together, but we've only ever met each other in real life like three or four times. So Mark heard me on the podcast. He he drove down to Wales. We spent the day together just kind of getting to know each other and chatting, and we hatched this idea um, to start the business, uh, and we went from there. But I guess probably start from the beginning should I start kind of from how I got into the the space or or how did you want to yeah well before before that what was your your previous gig yeah sure so prior to um affiliate marketing I've always kind of worked in in digital somehow I worked initially for a um an ad network it was a very specialized ad network they helped and this is how specialized they helped south um they, they helped asian publishers monetize their video traffic their video content on their websites um so my primary role there was managing their google ad exchange accounts uh setting floor rates for different categories and it was kind of cool getting to see how the tech was built and how an ad network was run and um, and is profitable. And then from there, I left that, that role and I joined a more traditional marketing agency um, and they helped UK universities attract students. So it was uh, postgrad and undergrad students. And I started there as um, as a strategist, basically coming up with ideas for paid campaigns across things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and that kind of thing. Um, and then quickly progressed to senior strategist where it was a lot more client facing. I would travel to the universities. Um, I would explain the plans. I would explain what kind of audiences we would we would want to reach, how we would reach them, what that messaging would look like, um, and essentially pull together this plan into a, a cohesive you know, plan over 12 months. And then um, we had an advertising operations team that then took that plan and turned it into actual, uh, into the actual campaign and ran the campaign. Got it. How many years did you do the digital marketing stuff? That was about four years, I think, in total there. Okay. So not a super long time. And yeah. So eventually you realized, hey, I kind of want to do some side hustle stuff. And then you got into niche sites somehow or another. So yeah, what was your first exposure to affiliate marketing, niche sites and making money online? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been dabbling with affiliate marketing for, for a long time, like even far as far back as when you could run your, your own self-serve habits on Plenty of Fish. Where you could actually call out attributes of people and, and you know say um, 
are you interested in Asian women, for example, then click our adverts and send them off to Asian um, dating sites and things like that. So that was a long time ago when you could do that kind of stuff. And then I was a, a big follower of um, of, of Peerfly and Luke, who, who used to run the, the blog over at Peerfly. And his blog was great. He used to give lots of information away around uh, paid affiliate marketing, around these kind of dating offers and um pin submits and email submits so that was kind of my first exposure and then I kind of I could never really get that to the point where it was profitable enough to to make it my full-time role so that was always kind of like always felt like I was knocking on the door and trying but I could never quite crack that and then while I was working for for the last agency uh, I decided to I'd had some money saved up um, and I decided I was going to buy a site from Empire Flippers and this was um, this was back when you could buy sites when they were down around like the ten thousand dollar mark I don't think they quite sell them that cheap anymore um, and yeah I had this money there and I thought right I'm gonna I'm gonna go into this I have a good exposure and good knowledge of of SEO from my from my day job so. I mean, let's do it. So I, I bought a site. I was looking at the numbers before this call actually was thirteen and a half thousand dollars is what I paid. It was in a niche I literally knew nothing about. Uh, it's about barbecues and smokers, um, and we, we don't even we don't even have smokers in the UK, and we just have barbecues. <laughs> so I literally didn't know anything about the niche. And then over the course of the next seven months, I did a lot of technical work on the website so the website was was quite messy from a technical perspective the structure of the site wasn't great did a lot of work there and then I spent a lot of time uh, creating new content and this was before you know I figured out how to outsource things and, and make my life easier I was writing this content myself I was doing lots of the research I was very active with that site in the Facebook groups which is cool because they have a very enthused audience base around like smokers people are very enthusiastic about about their smokers and that was cool because I got in the groups and I really got to know the product and how they talked. I even got a couple of people to actually send me photos of them using their actual smokers, which I could use on the review posts, which were, which were great. And then out of the blue, seven months later, I had a, a, an email asking me if I was interested in selling the site. And initially I thought this is a scam <laughs> because I obviously never had some kind of an email out of the blue before like this but it turned out it wasn't the guy was just doing manual outreach uh, trying to buy sites and um, we talked and we negotiated uh, and I sold the site to, to that guy for for sixty thousand dollars and I was like wow this is great like why am I why am I working a day job when I can do this <laughs> so I asked uh, I asked the agency could I drop down to three days a week um, and I could focus on on this stuff two days, and they said no because at that point I was very client facing. So I quit. <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> I was it. I quit, <laughs> uh, which was which was scary. Um, my wife was a bit, uh, you know, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Kind of, kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I haven't looked back since. That was kind of my first foray into into this world. How long ago was that? Uh, this was back in 2017, I believe. So okay, end so, of 2017, beginning of 2018. Okay, so just about three years. Amazing. And do you have, do you happen to remember how much money you invested into the site after the purchase amount? Yeah, it wasn't a lot in terms of monetary value. Um, I did almost all of the work myself. It was very time intensive. I was working obviously quite a, a demanding job. So most of my evenings and weekends were spent working on the site, which mainly consisted of writing content. I'm not a natural writer, like writing isn't my natural skill. <laughs> so it was, I think it was a bit more difficult than that should have been as well, trying to perfect how to write these, this type of content. So yeah, I, I guess in terms of money, 
there was very little of actual money involved. I didn't really outsource anything, which is which was probably a good thing because it meant I had to learn everything from the ground up. Okay, so a nominal, uh, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks max. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And then, how much time did you have the site? Uh, for seven months. Seven months. So obviously, great turnaround. And what? Okay, you sold the site. You have roughly 60K, you pay some taxes, some other stuff. And actually, before I move on to what you did with that money, yeah. how did you sell the site? So I know someone contacted you. You obviously yes. didn't pay broker fees. You worked directly with the individual. So can you tell us about the actual mechanics of like what you shared on the site as far as traffic, revenue? Did you give them access to certain pieces of information? And the transaction, did you use an escrow? What legal documents were drawn up? All the kind of boring stuff, but this is deep in the weeds. So what did you do? Yeah, yeah. I I think I was a little bit naive back then, obviously being the first time. And I've I've gone through this process many times afterwards and it's looked slightly different, but essentially they're the same things. I always, always use escrow.com as the escrow service. I think there are other providers out there, but I've always I've always used escrow.com and find them to be to be very good. I know that they don't work with with some countries, um, which can be a pain if you're trying to, to buy or sell a site from someone within these countries. And in that instance, depending on the the, the value of the sale, sometimes it's, it's best to walk away. I, I've been negotiating with people to buy sites and they can't use escrow and they suggest like Payoneer and it's always that you know, okay, you send me the site first and I'll send you the money. And they say, you send me the money and I'll send you the site. And I mean, just end up walking away because it's just not worth the risk. But so we used escrow. I always give access to, or gave him access to Google Analytics. So read only access to Google Analytics so they can go in and check the traffic. Um, I mean, they can do something similar by looking in Ahrefs or SEMrush, but I mean, it's not super accurate. I guess the thing they're looking for there is to make sure that there's not just one or two pages that are driving most of the traffic. And they also want to check that the traffic is coming from, you know, predominantly the US or the UK, depending on what the site is. As I just want to make sure that most of the traffic is organic or, or if it's social, where where is that social traffic coming from and are those accounts included in the sale? But for this sale, it was it was primarily Google, it was primarily the US. Um, it had a nice split of traffic across a number of pages, so there wasn't really uh, there was no real issues there. I can't remember with this one if I just sent screenshots of the, the Amazon accounts, so the um, the earnings, uh, including the tag, so they could see that this was the actual tag that was driving the revenue. Or if we actually did a, a video walkthrough, I think we may have done a, like a, a screen share and I did a video walkthrough showing showing the revenue in the Amazon account. And then afterwards, then there was a, I don't remember the, the amount of days, I think a seven or a 14 day inspection period where essentially they funded the escrow account. I sent them the login details and um, pushed the, the domain to them. Uh, and then they get either seven or 14 days to go in and switch out their affiliate tags, ensure that the revenue is, that I promised or that looked that was that I stated was making was actually real and was coming through into their Amazon account and that everything looked good on, on their side with analytics. And then once that inspection period is over and they're happy with, with everything, they tell escrow that they've received everything and they're happy and then escrow releases the funds to, to the seller then, which, which was me. Um, so that whole process, I guess, from start to finish probably took like three or four weeks by the time we kind of 
uh, sent over all the details. They checked them. We then were negotiating on price a little bit. Um, and then obviously we had the inspection period. And for the people that don't know, what protection do you have like using escrow? Like why, why do people need to use a service like that? Yeah, sure. So escrow acts as like um, as a middleman, essentially, like an impartial middleman where you initiate an escrow transaction and then the the buyer uh, deposits their funds with escrow and escrow will tell you once those funds have cleared and then, you know, those funds are essentially ring fenced. You then send over the login details for the website and push them the domain and they, they do that whole migration. So essentially, they now have ownership of the website. And then you can select whether you have uh, no inspection period or, you know, however many days inspection period you want, where it gives the the buyer the opportunity to change out the tags or to, to verify everything. And then um, once that's verified, they just tell escrow they've received everything. It's good. If they tell escrow that they've received everything and it's not good, they then have to send you back ownership of the domain. And I, I've never been through that process um, I say fortunately or unfortunately because I don't know I don't know the ins and outs, but I assume after that they send you back the website and the domain. Um, they have to prove that to escrow before they get their money back. So it's it's kind of like a middleman just to make sure that as a as a seller you're protected, your money's safe and it's it's ring fenced. They can't just run off with the money once you've sent them the details. And as a buyer, your money's safe while you verify everything is it checks out okay and it is what the seller says they're selling. Cool and it you know, just provides protection on both sides. Everyone feels a little safer running through it. So from a legal standpoint, were there any documents drawn up or was it pretty, pretty much like a handshake agreement? Yeah, there was no, there's no documents signed up. I know I've, I've, in the past had to look at NDAs. So I won't compete with it within certain niches, which uh, some sellers require. Uh, Sorry, some buyers require and and some buyers don't. I have had uh, deals fall through because I wasn't prepared to sign an NDA for like five years within a specific niche. I think that's a little bit too long. (laughs) I mean, five years in in an affiliate in the affiliate world is is a lifetime. I think that's too long. But yeah, there was no there was no 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 other official documents. Uh, I think escrow in this case was more than enough to protect us both. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Any other details with the transaction at all? Like, did you feel pretty safe throughout because you were using escrow? Yeah, I mean, I I think I was lucky because I was selling to an experienced buyer. Um, They handled all of the site migration. They handled all of the the tag updates. I mean, it was was a very smooth sale from my side. I think it's a little bit different if you sell to someone who's a beginner and they need the handholding of how to migrate the site and how to update the tags, especially if like the website is using Amazon short links. Um, you know, typically they want some help in switching out those short links. So yeah, but in this instance, it was very, it was very straightforward, very simple transaction on my side, which which was good considering it's my first time. Yep. And uh, by the way, quick side note, I've I've sold a site pretty high dollar amount and didn't um, use escrow, just transferred the money, high amount of trust. But part of it is because I have like a public brand and they yeah. felt safe working with me. There were some uh, legal closing documents, which were actually essentially 
like a real estate transaction. In fact, I think they were literally used for real estate transactions. So as I read through everything, I didn't even hire a lawyer myself, right? That's how like seat of the pants it was. I just read through it and I was like, this line makes no sense. This is not like a residence or whatever. So people uh, operate differently and some folks will have, you know, a huge stack of papers to sign. And sometimes even with 60K or even more, you may be able to just operate um, if you trust the person without making it super complicated. So, okay. For sure. All right. I think that's a big part. I think that whole relationship you build in the in the negotiation part, I think puts you at ease. If someone's uh, very responsive and they, you know, I guess, I guess it's just a gut feeling you have with someone when you start chatting to them about potentially selling a site. Um, that's the way this felt anyway. I mean, I, I put seven months of like blood, sweat and tears into the site and it felt like the guy, at least initially, appreciated that. I say initially because I spoke to him then like, uh, I think it was like six or seven months later and I was like, I remember speaking to him and I said, um, you know, how's my baby doing? How's my site going? Is it still growing? And to him, it was just another transaction. He said, nah, I sold it like six months later for, for 90 grand. It was just on an upwards trajectory and he literally just held on to it, waited for the average revenue to increase and then and then flipped it on. <laughs> and that was, that was kind of a light bulb moment for me again. I was like, wow, I want to be in that position too one day as well where I can just buy sites and hold them and flip too. <laughs> Which brings us to what did you do with the 60K? Yeah, well, the first thing I did was I took some time off. I actually burnt myself out writing all of that um, content. So I'd finished my job. It was quite a demanding job, and, and I'd done all this content writing. I started looking around for another site, um, and then um, I can't remember. I think I found it in the Flipping Websites group. It was a, a site in, 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 a, in a sports niche, um, similar kind of value. I think this one's a bit less. I paid around $10,000 for it. All of the content was written by non-native speakers, so I instantly saw the opportunity to upgrade and update that content uh, and then add a ton more. Um, this this website was then, I ended up buying this one in January 2000 and 2019, I think. Yeah, about around then, I think, maybe a little was it 2018? I don't know when the date was, but I remember it was a January time. I had the December off for Christmas and I bought the site in January and then I started working on the site again. Um, lots of technical SEO, lots of foundational structural changes. And then this time I didn't write the content. I started outsourcing the content. Um, first of all, I tried to find some, some writers on places like Upwork, um, which were very hit and miss. It was difficult to find consistency there. And also difficulty, difficult to find scale there. I mean, you find one good writer, but they can only push out, you know, X amount of words per week. And then they have other commitments. And before you know it, you know, you've got one good writer that's doing 3,000 words a week for you and five terrible writers who are able to pump out as much as you want, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and then I grew that site, um, similar kind of time frame, actually. So around seven or eight months in, that site was doing around three and a half thousand dollars a month but this time i didn't sell it obviously i, I kind of learned my lesson from the last one where i'd sold it a little bit too early um and uh, i still have that site still part of my portfolio but that cash flow allowed me to to reinvest so rather than sell the site and then kind of look to buy more what i wanted to build up was a portfolio of sites um so this cash flow and some of the money from from the initial web sale allowed me to start buying other sites most really of, of which have come from the flipping website 
um, Facebook group, and they tend to be quite small, I guess, in comparison to to some website sales. I find my sweet spot tends to be around the five to ten thousand dollar mark in terms of buy insights, and then work on them and invest in them, and then flip them for sort of twenty, thirty thousand over a over a time period. And I've done that quite a few times. Um, I've recently sold off uh, three three websites in the twenty to twenty five thousand dollar range, and then literally this week I've put up uh, another three sites, which combined come to about another twenty five thousand. All of which I've just bought and invested in uh, and grown, and I'm looking to exit. And the main reason I'm looking to exit now is not for the cash flow, um, which I think we'll come on to a little bit later, but it's to reinvest back into my expired domain portfolio. Okay. Cool. And when when you had sort of like the height of all your sites and the portfolio, how, how many sites did you have in the stable? Uh, I don't think I've ever, I think, I don't think I've ever been above kind of six or seven sites at the time, at one time. It's really difficult to work on all those sites at one time, obviously. And what you find is you tend to work on the ones that are doing the best and then the ones which are you know, either you've just recently bought or, or not doing as well, then you, you kind of just leave them to the wayside. <laughs> um, and but then it's I think it's always a good opportunity then to say, okay, well, what am I going to do with these? Am I going to am I going to keep them and work on them? Am I ever going to get around to them? You kind of always have that thought in the back of your mind. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get around to that one day and I'll do this. But really speaking, you know, as as you get busier, you, you just kind of never never really get around to that um one of the sites incidentally that i'm selling i put up for sale recently is this exact thing i bought it end of last year um and i've literally done very little to the site it's just sat there it's been very consistent um the cash flow has been good but i mean i've literally done nothing to it (laughs) to be fair when you are looking at these sites are there some criteria that you identify knowing that you'll be able to improve the site and sell it for a higher amount or, you know, increase the value just by increasing the cash flow? Yes, definitely. So there, there are two things that I always look for. Um, one is the ability to to look at the top 10 pages that are driving traffic and have a look at the content. Is it thin content? Can it easily be updated? Can I easily add a FAQ section? Um, can I easily add another five product reviews? Does it have a buyer's guide? Can I add that in so I can easily and, and quickly have quick wins on those top sort of 10 or 20 pages that are driving 80% of the traffic? The other thing that I always do is switch over the design of the website to, to one of our templates. So over the years, we've developed uh, a template that's that's built on Thrive. And I think a lot of people will have something to say about that. I think page builders are a bit of a, um, a personal subject but I personally love Thrive I think they've done great over the years but I always switch up the design to one of my Thrive templates uh, it has uh, it's proven to work over the years uh, I've done lots of split tests and A-B tests using Google Optimize to test even as far as things like uh, what's the best call to action on, on the buttons I think I shared some results with you recently where we talked about is it best to have um, check price on Amazon or buy now on Amazon uh, as the call to action text um, so over the years, this this template has kind of evolved based on all these little tests, and I find switching out the the design to this template on the top twenty percent of the pages um, usually has a nice boost in in conversions. 
we recently did this for one of our clients actually where we switched out a site they'd bought over to one of our designs and the average time on site. I never really noticed, I never really took, took too much notice of average time, but I'd gone from like 45 seconds to like a minute and a half. Um, and it's very, it was very clear in analytics. You switched the template and you could see just went like whoop. So that was kind of cool to see in actual real life data and raw data switching out uh, to one of our templates, what that looks like. And yeah, uh, so the opportunity to update content, the opportunity to, to improve CRO through changing the template. And then I'm also leaning towards these days um, niches which are quite broad so I can start expanding. Um, I've always been a fan of sports sites, niche specific sports sites. So, for example, um, you know, soccer. And I, and I like the reason I like this is because the niche is very well defined before you start. You can plan everything out. You know, in the soccer niche, for example, you've got you can pre-plan your categories. You've got balls, you've got cleats, you've got goals, shin pads. And it's very easy to plan out what the whole finished site will look like in terms of content before you start. Whereas if you start with something broad, you know, just like outdoors, um, you know, that could that could cover everything. It could cover, cover camping, it could cover RVing, it could cover so many things. I find it's difficult to nail down what a sub, what your first sub niche should be, and then how much you should build that out before expanding to the next. And there's always that thought about. Okay, I've, I've covered everything in camping. If I now start looking at, you know, a shoulder niche, will Google recognize that? Will that content start to rank? Um, so I've always been a big fan of, of very narrow um, niches. But recently, since, since starting to build on expired domains and utilize the power of the existing um, backlink profile, I'm actually starting to lean the opposite way again now, where I'm looking for expansive niches. Um, I'm looking for the sites where I can add, you know, a million words over the course of, of time, um, where I'm not going to be constrained to a single niche. Or if I am, at least to start with, I'm looking for domains that are brandable. So, uh, you know, for example, it, the, the domain won't include the word soccer or be totally about soccer, but it'll be about um, ball sports and I can expand into rugby and you know all, all the related sports essentially that go along there I thought you guys call it football oh yeah I mean I, I call I call it I call it soccer because I actually have a site in the soccer niche and I've, I've obviously done the research but yeah football is what we call it <laughs> all right well thanks for working with the U.S. audience here so you mentioned the technical SEO and I'm curious about like what you did actually on the site yeah sure so um, a technical audit consists of, of a number of different aspects the first one being speed site speed is very important um, the first thing that I, I do is, is I run the, the site through uh, GT metrics and I get a report there that typically consists of things like minifying um, CSS and JS scripts um, optimizing image sizes um, implementing a CDN if, you, if the site's not already using one. And there are a couple of other different different things in there of what you can do, but mainly it's just about the getting the, the larger things fixed. I think some, sometimes people can go a little bit overboard on fixing all of the tiny issues, but as long as you get, I'm very much an 80-20 kind of guy. I'll fix the 20% that drives 80% of, of, of whatever I'm looking at. So Site speed was, was one. The structure of the site in terms of um, like site categories and how things are laid out. So I remember on the first site that I bought, the, the site wasn't 
wasn't really set up in any particular way. Just had like a blog role on the homepage, and that was that was kind of it. So spent a lot of time recategorizing all of the posts into you know smokers, grills, barbecues, accessories, uh, recipes, that kind of thing, and then reworking so creating custom category pages for each of those categories. Then changing up the homepage design so we can utilize any homepage link juice to send them through to those custom category pages, and then they flow down through to the individual. Uh, posts within each category. Um, the other thing which I spent a lot of time on back then, which kind of you don't have to do so much these days because of Spencer's uh, Link Whisper plugin was was internal linking, and that was all done manually. So essentially, the first thing I did in order to restructure the site was create a spreadsheet of, of all the posts. And that became like my master working document where I then added all of the categories. And then I would go back then and I would uh, create virtual silos. So all of the content within Smokers, for example, would be internally linked. Um, and I, I track all of this in a spreadsheet. So I'd, I'd keep a track of all of the anchor text that I use for each post, um, how each post is linked to each other. That took a long time. I mean, on a, on a site, as you keep growing it, to keep adding internal links like that is, is quite painful. But like I said, these days we're, with plugins, I mean, Spencer's even ha- added the, the feature recently where you can click the box to only show internal links to the same category. So that's great for, for keeping those those links siloed. And then the other thing then is, is just about creating um, an About Us page, uh, a more in-depth About Us page, and, and creating like uh, authority for the website, I guess, uh, that, that trust trust element. One thing which we, we still use and we used back then was this person does not exist.com. It's essentially a website which auto-generates images of people that look very realistic. It's um, it's like an AI generation tool. Um, and you can go on there and you can press refresh until you find an image of someone you think looks like they would be into smoking and barbecuing. And you can uh, you take that person and then you just create a whole persona around that person then. Um, I don't think I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think there's any. This person actually doesn't exist, so I don't think there's any issues with using that person as your persona for the website. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of what what I mean by fixing all of the technical and, and on-site issues there. And for the custom category page, I've put together a couple of these. I just want to make sure our definition is the same. So, can you explain what you mean with the custom category page? Yeah, sure. So WordPress standard category pages, I think, are, are a little bit terrible. Um, they usually have, if you have a lot of posts, then they have lots of like pagination uh, issues there where, you know, you go to page two and it's another URL for Google to crawl and, and it's sometimes not set up correctly for self-referencing. So I, I would like to create an actual page, a WordPress page, uh, where I can lay out um, all of the posts on the same page. They're not pagination. And then I always have a nice, um, unique um, content added to the top. So there's there's an introduction about, you know, if it's smokers, what are smokers, um, you know, uh, how they've developed over the years. So you've got some nice, unique content on there. So Google actually recognizes this is, a, this is an actual page rather than just a, a list of posts. And then I always make sure that I redirect the old category page. So the forward slash category forward slash smokers to this new page. And I replace that category page in the menu with the new, the new custom category page that I've made. Perfect. That's exactly the way I've done it in the past. And it just gives you more control over 
really making sure every page is accessible. There's no orphaned pages. So you potentially, I imagine on your homepage, you have a link to that custom category page. The custom category page has a link to every one of the posts or pages or any URL on your site related to that category, right? Exactly that. Yes. So it's never more than two, two clicks away. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of the tests I always do um, is run it through Screaming Frog, and they've got a nice click depth analysis tool in there, and it's so easy to see how many clicks away things are from the homepage, um, and always try and get things within two clicks of the homepage. Very cool. And when you do, uh, I think one of the the top things that you mentioned was to internally link a site, which, I mean, people did a pretty bad job with it um, for a very long time because it's a pain to do. I mean, it's easy yeah. for someone to publish a new piece of content linked to old stuff, but the big missing piece is to go back to the old post and then update it. So yeah. when you do that, did you usually see an immediate uptick in rankings and traffic and just you could tell that it, you did something? Yeah, for sure. So every time I make a change on the page, I, I always resubmit it in Google Search Console for recrawling. Through intern, if you internally link something, the, the change is pretty much... I feel like it used to be quicker. These days, it seems like, honestly, you could submit it a while back and you could refresh the rank tra- tracker within 10 minutes and you'd see a change. It's not so quick these days, but definitely within, you know, sort of within 24 hours, you can see a change there. Did you often make on-page changes to the content at the same time you were doing the internal linking or did was it like two separate processes? Two separate processes. So essentially the, the internal linking um, came after everything was done. So once the posts were created, I'd updated on my spreadsheet and it wasn't a case of, okay, I've done one post today and now I need to internally link it. I would essentially you know, build up a bank of posts. So I might have five posts, I've added, added them to my sheet. And mainly it's because, like you say, it was a pain. It's like kind of like the last thing you ever do. And then I would go back and do a couple at a time. So it was just that one-off, one-off change. Okay. That's pretty awesome. And did you see sort of different reactions for the different sites that you've had where some really sort of jumped in traffic and earnings and then some were a little lackluster? Any like big highlights and then actually any failures where it didn't work as well as you thought? Yeah, for sure. Um, So, I mean, I I can't really think of any which kind of took off instantly after just doing just doing that i think it's a combined effort of of um of the technical stuff and then just working on the content and and continually to work there one thing which uh, i guess is a failure which i think um people tend not to talk about too much in terms of their failures but this one is a great one Uh, and and i would imagine it caught lots of people off guard um and it's to do with keyword intent rather than um, duplication so i had a website where where i was pumping out lots and lots of content um so much so that inadvertently i was cannibalizing the content but i didn't realize um because for example if you if you think of two keywords one is best golf balls for old people and one is best golf balls for seniors they have the both. They have the same intent. Whereas if you run them through a um, a keyword research tool, they'll have different search volume and they'll have different competitiveness. And on the face of it, they look like two independent keywords. Um, and I mean, a couple of years back, you used to be able to get away with having two individual pages like that. 
um, because Google didn't quite understand the intent was the same. Um, so I had this site and I had lots of content and it was doing very well. And then all of a sudden, um, something changed in Google where they could obviously understand this intent a little bit better. And the site started dropping in rankings and I couldn't really figure out why. It was dropping lots of traffic um, until I realized that this was probably what was going on. I had lots of content covering the same topics and that was a real pain to try and work out. So I had to go back to my master sheet, which I keep of, of all the posts and all of the primary keywords. And I literally I spent days Googling every primary keyword, analyzing the first page of Google to see what results were actually showing rather than what I thought to be showing. And then making a list of all of the ones that cannibalize each other and then making a plan to either merge that content and set up redirects or to delete that content and just um, set up a redirect. Uh, and it was a mess, to be fair. I mean, it, it took it took a long time to pull that plan together. And then it took a long time to plan out how to merge everything and actually physically do it. So I guess that that, that was a failure initially. But then as soon as I fixed that issue, traffic came back. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's been going strong since. But it, it felt weird because I felt like I was doing everything right. I felt like I was doing all of the same steps I've always done. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what's, go what's going on here? <laughs> but yeah, and, and that's a very important check that we do with all of our keyword research these days um, for ourselves and for clients. We always do that intent check. We always Google every keyword and we always look at the front page to see what results Google are, are returning just to make sure that we, we've got the keyword right, but we've also got that intent correct as well. And I've done the exact same thing where <laughs> you're just doing so much that you're not yeah. checking the keywords properly. And I've had basically a post where it targeted the singular and then a post where it targeted the plural of the product, which obviously was essentially the same article. So I had issues there and I've even done it more recently on niche site project because there's some older content. I don't even remember that I've written it and it's, roughly targeting the same keyword. So the consolidation is a mess. There's no sort of shortcut. You just have to look at it. You may be able to just say, you know what, I'm just going to make this one a draft and have it go away and then see mm -hmm. if everything is okay. Maybe you could pull a couple lines over, but yeah, it's so, so time consuming. Okay. That's one of the, one of the, that's one of the key things that we do now for, for client sites is as soon as we onboard a client, we, we create a, what we call a site structure document. So essentially we will download the whole structure of the site on what posts they have, what the primary keywords are, how much traffic each post is driving into a, a G document, into a G sheet. So when we then do our keyword research, when we present that back to them, we've already done that duplication check against their existing content. So, you know, like you say, if you've done content a long time ago and you've kind of forgotten about it, or if you potentially bought a site and you haven't asked work on it and you don't know the history of the content, um, we've always got that site structured document to refer back to and say, oh, actually, you've got a post on this or it's very similar. The intent is the same. We're going to remove this keyword and we're very diligent about doing that. Is that a standalone service or that just for onboarding? It's just part of the onboarding service for content clients. Well, there's a business idea for someone if you wanted to put that together, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Moving on to the expired domain stuff. So this is a super common question that I get almost daily. And typically I advise people 
that if they ask the question, they probably shouldn't get into the expired domain area and try to build a site on an expired domain. But it sounds like you guys have seen some good success with it. And can you tell us the process and some of the results you've seen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, as a company and as individuals, we're heavily invested now into expired domains and building on them. Um, we, uh, we, we started essentially looking at this area because uh, a close friend of mine um, had seen very good success. He's kind of uh, like been in, into the expired domains for around two years. So he has quite a big head start. Um, but I know he's recently listed and sold a few of his sites for, for good six-figure sums. So having seen him do that and, and watched his process, that kind of gave me the confidence to think, right, well, I need to, need to investigate this a little bit further. And I guess... You're right. There, there are lots of pitfalls with expired domains. If you kind of have to ask the questions, then, like you say, you, you probably you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> um, and, and there seem to be so many ways that you can fall down with an expired domain. Everything from selecting the expired domain to start with, uh, where you buy it, what the metrics need to look like. There are so many different uh, ways you can get caught out with sites that have been repurposed in the past. Uh, and it's not obvious. I mean, you have to really dig deep. For us, uh, for example, I, I run. I also run a, a newsletter called Domain Geeks. That every every Sunday, I send out a list of all of the best expiring domains that I found at the GoDaddy auction. And every now and again, I'll put something in the newsletter just to highlight exactly how easy it is to get caught up and and come a cropper with these domains. So. There was one recently where I found that it looked great on the surface, had great trust flow metrics, um, had a great backlink profile. I mean, it looked like a stellar domain. And when I looked at the bidding, it was up to $700, which again is a good sign because it means other people have seen it and also see value in that domain. But when I started digging a little bit deeper, and I mean, by deeper, I mean, I literally checked uh, every um, or not every, but very much all of the the snapshots from Wayback Machine from archive.org. And there was a space of uh, it was like six months or so where somebody had restored the old website and I'd, I'd put um, some links back to a casino on the homepage, but within the existing content. So even if you were just skimming, the website looked exactly the same uh, as it did, you know, a year prior. And, uh, but it just had these these links which have been inserted into the homepage. Um, and that's an example where someone's obviously bidding on that and they're, they're going to pay several hundred to, to a thousand or so for that domain. And I mean, it's been used as part of, of a PBN in, in the past. Um, uh, I've, I've never built an expired domain on a PBN, <laughs> but I would imagine, you know, that's something you probably wouldn't want to get into. You don't know if it's been uh, penalized. You don't have it if it has a, a Google penalty or anything like that until you connect it up to Search Console. So, I mean, it's so easy to get to get caught there. Um, and, and so much so that we've now come to the, the conclusion that we pass up like 99% of the domains that we see. We look at a very, uh, a mixed very variety of metrics so things like trust flow and citation flow majestic um moses da and pa um ahref scores the backlink profile we look at the the anchor text uh, ratio and profile to make sure that looks clean and natural and hasn't been messed with and then we do a very deep dive into into wayback and if we find that just one of those metrics looks a bit off we just walk away from the whole domain because it's not it's not worth it's not worth the investment when you buy an expired domain, you're going to put a ton of content on there and you might as well wait until you can find the perfect domain 
rather than you know taking a chance on something which 95% looks great but there's something there which doesn't look quite great so rather than take that chance yeah there's so many so many little issues and I have not um, I, I have looked back at the Wayback Machine. It's a great resource to see yeah. anything obvious. But as you mentioned, if they are pretty sly about it, you you may not notice unless you actually read everything. And you may have dozens of different snapshots to go take a look at. So yeah. when you get one of the domains that looks promising, I imagine being in the the proper category and topic area is very important. That relevancy is probably one of the top things you look for. You don't want to have a, uh, say, like a photography site and then put the smokers and barbecue stuff on there. It doesn't make sense, right? So how important is that? And do you just look for certain niches where you're like, hey, we know these are promising categories? Well, I guess, how do you look for them? Yeah. Yeah, re relevancy is huge. And I mean, after this call, I can send you over a ton of examples where I've seen people build sites on expired domains that are, are not relevant, like totally irrelevant. Uh, and they have this big spike up in traffic initially because I think Google is playing catch up. You know, they, they build a site on this expired domain. It's got a great backlink profile, but it's not relevant. And then Google plays catch up and you see a big, big drop. Um, I go back to golf because uh, I mentioned the, about the golf keywords earlier, but I'll send you over an example of a golf website that was built on um, this old website about European business. And they got up pretty quickly to like 20,000 visitors a month in, in Ahrefs and then just as quickly came back down to 5,000. <laughs> um, so, yeah, relevancy is huge. And, and also being in a category, predominantly we build product-based websites, so Amazon style review website so being in a category where you can um you can actually build out a site like that so sports home home and decor kind of musical instruments that kind of thing is very important you see lots of sites come up that are you couldn't really to keep the relevance you couldn't really turn them into an affiliate site per se you know it might have been a um a conference website for farmers for example and on the surface of it you think that's great. I'll turn this into a, a website about gardening or um, plant seeds or something like that. But when you do a little bit, uh, dig a little bit deeper into the backlink profile, you realize that the website was actually about more about the conference rather than being about farming or gardening or growing plants. And that's a big thing to look out for is, uh, is that the other one, which I see tons of things come up for are like um, coffee shops, for example, where, on the face of it, this looks great to build a coffee review website, but when you actually do a, a deeper dive in there, they've never really had any content about coffee. It's been about, you know, this is the opening times and this is the menu. I mean, th there are definite examples where a coffee website does have a blog and it has content about coffee and that's, that's okay, but you want to stay away from the ones where it's predominantly about the business and not about the topic. Got it. Once you get the site, do you just treat it like a, a normal uh, site that you're starting and then you're more or less shortening or skipping the sandbox? You just put content, promote the site? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so for expired domains, we, we have a different keyword research method. Um, and I don't want to give too much away about that because it's a bit um, proprietary. But essentially, uh, without diving into the details, we have a look at uh, what competitors we think we can outrank with this expired domain based on their existing on, a, on the existing link profile. 
and then we produce our keyword keyword list from there. And then we treat it like a normal domain to start with. We, we get the content set up. We structure the sites in the same way that we talked about earlier, where we have custom category pages and the homepage feeds in. That's very important on expired domains because the majority of the time, most of the, the backlinks will be to the homepage. So you need a, a structured way of funneling that link juice through to category pages and then through to the individual posts. The other thing that we do is we look at what pages uh, have links that are not the homepage. So they may have had you know, a handful of other pages on the website with good individual backlinks to that either need to be recreated or redirected to make, sh- to make use of that link juice. So typically you find um, you know, you need to recreate some pages. The URL structure will almost always be different because it'll have like dates in there. Typically, you'll find so you'll have to set up a, a redirect from the old URL to the new to the the new URL on the website. Um, and then I think one thing which a mistake which which people may make with expired domains is they set up these pages and then they think, oh well, there's there's you know, 40 other pages with one link, and I'm not going to go and set up those 40 other pages. So I'll just redirect all those other other links back to the homepage. Um, we don't do that. I think you run the error there, of or the potential there for for giving the homepage like a soft 404. Google sees that all these pages have now been moved to the homepage, and they have nothing to do with what the old pages used to be. So the way we handle that is we let those pages just 404 until they drop out of the errors in uh, Search Console and the crawl report. And once they've dropped out there, we know they've dropped out of the index. And then we set up the, the 301 to 404, uh, the 404 to 301 to the homepage redirects. So we're still trying to preserve that juice, but we, we, we're not putting the homepage up at any risk of a soft 404 initially. Okay, gotcha. And I have I was not even aware that that was an issue with a soft 404, but it does make sense now that you explain it. So is it just those other pages maybe are totally not relevant or is it just not worth it? Because I, I was going to say, oh, maybe if you have 40 of them and you, you do create those pages and then you can link those pages to somewhere else, at least to redirect and maybe an aggregated ads up. But I haven't done that before. Just any thoughts? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's on a page by page basis, to be fair. You look at what the referring domain is and if it's if it's worth keeping, you know, you try to think of it as how much would I have to pay for this referring domain if I was buying as a guest link? Um, is it worth my time to reset it up? I mean, some pages will have one link and it's just like a spammy web 2.0 or something. You think it's just not. I'm just not going to bother with that. Um, if it's got a link from like, you know, the New York Times or something, then it's uh, then it's well worth setting that back up. What kind of results have you guys seen from, say, an average expired domain in a relevant topic area? You put content on there. Can you tell us how much content just initially and then what kind of results you've seen over sort of three, six, 12-month timeframes? Yeah, I guess I should probably... Before we do that, I'll tell you a little bit about the way that I'm personally investing in these domains because it'll give you a good background of kind of where we're at with the results so far. So um, I've built out five websites on expired domains recently. The, the first one was back in February and then the rest have been in May and June, so a bit more recent. Um, and the, the whole plan is to build out another five. So I have 10 expired domains and then from there, uh, I seed them with content between 100 and 150,000 words of content. 
and I just leave them sit and I, I wait to see how, how they react, how they come back in Google. And then the whole plan is um, to sell the five that are essentially doing the worst at, a, at the 12 month point for break even, hopefully a small profit, and then to double down and reinvest in more content and link building, active link building on the five, which are the, the, the five clear winners, essentially. And the whole reason behind this is Expired domains come with a certain certain amount of risk. As you know, you know we can line up all of those metrics initially and, and make sure everything is right. But I mean, it's still more riskier than essentially building on a fresh domain because you've got that history there. So by spreading out the risk across a larger portfolio, I've kind of hedged my bets a little bit. I've got the resources, thankfully, to, to seed these 10 sites with this kind of content. Um, but it, it also works with with smaller smaller portfolios. We've got a couple of clients who are doing this with two or three expired domains, and you know they're gonna they we're building two of them, for example, and then they'll they'll double down on the one which shows the most promise after six to twelve months. So that's kind of where I'm at. I've built five, and I'll be doubling down. I don't, I'm planning to build another five, and I'll be doubling down on on the five winners. So, it, in terms of results, um, I wish I'd pull this up before the call, but maybe I can send it to you afterwards, and you can add it to the notes. But um, site one, which was started in February, was actually the slowest of the sites to, to gain any traction. So. I didn't really see any revenue for the first two months there, um, but this month it looks like it's going to break uh, about $150. Um, so that month, it, that site is nine, eight, seven months old. Um, so that, but that was one of the, I guess it's the slowest of the five to actually take off. And then uh, site two, which was started in May, well, it was one of the quickest. In its first month, it earned $45. And this month it's on track to do uh, about 150 as well. Um, so that was obviously a lot quicker. And then the, the other three, uh, two of them were started in May and one of them was started in June. Uh, and they'll they'll do around $15, $20 each this month. So just in that starting growth stage. What I have seen and what I expect kind of reverse engineering other people who have built on expired domains is there seems to be this very slow and steady starting pace for the first six to eight months. And then there's that hockey stick growth um, from eight month eight to month 12 typically seems to be around the sweet spot. So, I mean, I've got a, one of the sites is coming into that period now and I can definitely see, I mean, I, I update this in my, in my um, domain geeks newsletter every week, but for the last couple of weeks, that site has seen like 15, 20% month, uh, week on week growth traffic wise. So it's definitely kind of hitting that that upward phase. What I haven't done is any active link building on these sites yet because obviously I'm investing in, in five and, and it's a lot of money to, to put into these. But we have worked with clients uh, and, and one client in particular, which has had great results where we built an expired domain in February for them, similar sort of time. Um, it was on a very weak expired domain, actually. I mean, it was literally like 20 referring domains. It was a domain that he had himself. We added uh, 100,000 words of content initially, and then we added another 50,000 words after that and finished. So it's uh, uh, 150,000 words. Uh, and then he, he took out our our biggest link building package, which is based on the shotgun skyscraper method. Um, and that site uh, is, is due to do, a, I think he said, around $500 this month. So it's much quicker with the link building, but obviously there's a much higher capital investment there. Interesting. And with the... 100 to 150,000 words. How many posts is that for people that, you know, they're just unsure? 
Yeah, uh, our best of posts. So it's a, it's a mixture of three different types of posts. So we do best ofs, uh, single product reviews or product A versus product B type and informational. And our best ofs are around 2,500 words. We like to do long form content where the buyer's guides has an in, have an introduction, uh, typically five individual products, then an in-depth buyer's guide and an FAQ section. And we take the questions from places like um, answer the public and also ask to make sure that they're questions that people are actually searching for rather than ones we just made up. Um, and then the single product reviews tend to be around 1,500 words and the informational pieces between 1,000 and 1,300. So it really depends on, on the split. But typically these days, we tend to do around 70% um, commercial content and 30% informational content. Okay. Very cool. And when you when you publish the content, do you just publish it all, all in mass or as quickly as you can, basically? Yeah, this is a question we get asked a lot, actually, is should I schedule things or should I should I just post them? Uh, and uh, we find it's best to just post it as quickly as you can. The quicker you get it into Google and indexed and, and gain traction, the the quicker it, it becomes. I guess if you're just going to build a site and then and then leave it and not work on it forever, I don't know if that maybe is not the right idea in some niches. I know Google um, freshness is a factor of how often posts are added or updated. Um, so if you're in a niche like that, then it may be best to schedule things. But the majority of the time, it's best to just push it out as quickly as you can. Um, you know, we launch these sites typically with 100,000 words on them, like day one. We've built them on a staging area. We, we put them on the, the right domain and then we just go live with, you know, 100, 150,000 words. Perfect. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think there's much of a reason to hold off and schedule it. Just publish the content. Hopefully you'll publish more in the future, but you know, it's not like a YouTube channel or a podcast where people yeah. want to see a regular schedule. People don't really care. They just hit your site for a few minutes, get information yeah. and they go away. Awesome. Well, I would love to get more updates from you in the future. I know this is an ongoing thing with the expired domains and the more data you have, you're going to have more and more as you're launching more sites, uh, clients that are doing the same thing too. So pretty, pretty cool. And I think you'll probably have more data than any other folks uh, that are doing this in a public fashion within a few months because it's expensive. I know there are some people doing it off the radar and have been for years. Actually, I know people that have done this for, you know, five, six years, and that's just kind of an area they work, you know, some new sites, some purchases and flips like you, and then some expired domains or brand new sites. So very cool. Well, obviously people can find you over at niche website builders, but mm -hmm. is there any anything else, uh, any advice for people who are maybe thinking of getting started and they do have capital to invest? Don't make it a sales pitch for niche website builders, but more of an advice thing here. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I guess, I guess the, the advice I would give would be to, um, to understand exactly what you're investing in, even if that means spending some time watching you know, your content, Doug. You put out some great content. Um, just to get a, an understanding, I, I feel like at the moment there's the the market is maturing a little bit and people are just normal run-of-the-mill people are understanding that investing in digital assets is a, is a, provides a good return so you know they may have come from a, a real estate background or they may just you know they might have sold a company or something and they've got funds to invest and they come into this space and they don't quite 
know exactly how it works and they invest. Um, I think it's always good to know exactly what you're investing in, how things work. Um, some clients we have, they're in this boat and we actively encourage them to get involved with um, editing some of the posts. So we leave some of the posts without the images in there. So they actually have to go in and manually add the images themselves just just to get them motivated to go in and learn a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I think that. And, and I guess the other part is to find a partner if, if you're going to outsource the work that um, that will work with you. That's not very rigid. So we'll, we'll work to your individual needs and also is, is, has done this for themselves in the past and is continuing to do it i think uh, you know that that sets a lot of companies apart is is me and mark are actively doing this for ourselves we're actively testing for our own portfolios and investing our own you know real money our own personal money into our stuff to test what works and what doesn't work and we always feed that back through to clients website so find a partner that's that's invested themselves into this business and into this area um one because you know you know what they do for you is what they do for themselves and it works and two just just so you know you have that peace of mind that you're working with a partner who if something happens in google tomorrow and an update happens and something happens to the website they're in the exact same boat and you know they're going to work their butt off to figure out what happened and how they can restore their own sites and then pass that knowledge back to you too great advice thanks a lot Adam, I'll put links for everything so people could find you. And I think we may be able to put a checklist together. I'll talk to you after this for just the technical SEO, some of those things that you went through. I think those are hugely valuable. So we'll, we'll chat after that. I think we could put it together. So thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks, Doug. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Adam for taking the time to chat with me. I think it's really cool how he was able to, I mean, avoid building a site from scratch and simply buy existing sites. It's interesting because I know there's a lot of folks out there who are able to start a site, you know, get some traffic, earn some money, maybe even make, you know, thousands of dollars per month. And it sort of stalls and plateaus and they're not sure what to do. And if you have the skills, maybe if you're a little uh, further ahead and you have the capital, you may be able to purchase those sites and then grow them. So the person that started the site is getting a big win because they're getting usually two to three years of their revenue up front all at once. And then they can use it to pay off debt. They can invest in other sites. They can use it as a down payment for a house or whatever they want to do. They could take a trip or whatever, doesn't really matter. And then the person who purchases the site, because they do have skills in growing sites and the capital to purchase such a site, they can get a winning situation out of it too. So it's a pretty cool model. And of course, the downside is you have to have the money to invest up front. But if you kind of stair step your way up, and I've heard that expression used uh, multiple times. I don't know where it originated, but if you start with a smaller site and you buy it and then you grow it and then you buy a bigger site and then you grow that one or buy multiple smaller ones, you can really sort of level up as you're selling. Again, if you sell a site, you often can get two to three years of your revenue, I guess, profit up front. So you can check out more details and case studies over there 
at niche website builders. There's going to be links in the uh, description and show notes here. Of course, you can get the checklist that we talk about. So depending on what Adam and I can put together for you, you uh, may be able to get more than one. I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see. I need to circle back with Adam, but I think we'll be able to get you at least one excellent checklist on what to do when you purchase a site to uh, help it grow. And I would be silly not to plug my own course. I should have done that in the intro here, but I have a course on what to do to grow a site. It's called Site Growth Plan. So there are usually just a handful of things which we discuss in the episode that you do to grow a site. The confusing part is you don't know which one you should work on. And depending on the size of the site that you're trying to grow, get more traffic and earn more money, you may be in a situation where there's a hundred things you can work on. And if you do it in the wrong order, you're just not going to see any traction. So the course helps you identify where you are, where you want to be, and the order that you should work on the tasks. So you can get the fastest sort of increase in revenue, traffic, and all those, those other things that we want to grow. So with that, I'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day out there.